Well, welcome to Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. Next to me is Shane Bishop. My name is Mike Wooten. We're happy to have you join us. This is where we talk about all things in culture, leadership, and much, much more. We are help you to we are here to help you navigate through the changes that you're going through. We would love for you to subscribe and share our podcast. And of course, find us on social media. But today we have a very special guest with us, Reverend Fred Bishop. And yes, there is a relation to Shane. Fred is Shane's dad. Fred has a wealth of Christian experience and ministry, and he knows uh, maybe he'll even tell us a couple good stories about Shane today. But before we bring in Reverend Fred, first Shane, how are you doing today? You know, Mike, I'm doing all right, but there is something kind of going on. I mean, something kind of exciting going on. Yeah. We sort of got our first sponsor. Is that right? Sort of. Yeah, tell us more. Well, Alan Miller used to be an associate pastor here, and now he's a pastor in Columbia. And I got this letter in the mail. It was like a regular envelope, handwritten. So usually when that comes, you think, well, it's from a crazy person, right? Handwritten, right. you know, a little wadded up, looked like dog chewed on, just a little bit. But anyway, I open it up. It's from Alan Miller. And guess what it said, Mike? And what did it say, Shane? I want to be your sponsor. And guess what it had in it? Uh, Dairy Queen gift card? Oh, no. Oh, no. A $10 what? bill, cash. Wow. Well, as you can well imagine, I had no idea what to do with it. <laughs> because we don't want sponsors. We no. like to talk about the fact we have no sponsors. Right. That and all of a sudden, I'm in this conundrum. Would you yeah. say it was a philosophical conundrum? It could be for you. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm looking down. I got $10. And, and the first thing I think is, what am I going to do with this money? Right. So guess what I did? What'd you do, Shane? I just chewed it and swallowed it on the spot. <laughs> wow. That's okay. not true. Okay. What I really did was I took it to Kelly, who is our assistant, and I said, Kelly, someone sent this in to be a sponsor on Navigating Change, and I'm gonna, I have no idea what to do with it. So I gave it yeah. to the church. So Alan Miller, uh, pastor at Bethany in Columbia, you are our first sponsor. You sent $10. I am acknowledging the receipt and it has been donated to Christ Church, who I'm guessing has footed the bill, like for the regular releases of this. Is that mm -hmm. correct? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, did you That's pay correct. the 108 bucks? I did not. That right. was Christ Church. So now they're only down 98 Eight. bucks. I correct. mean, this took some serious pressure off the viability of the show from a financial business standpoint. We are moving ahead. So Shane, what happens if people send money again? What are you going to do? I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope it doesn't happen. Is what, I, right? what I really want to have happen is us not to get sponsors and uh -huh. then continue to talk see, about not having sponsors. See, I was kind of hoping we would get sponsors. It would just go to the church. And then it will kind of offset these in, these production costs. So which, you're open to sponsors. So if somebody, I've let's say somebody sends five dollars in. Is that enough to get their name mentioned on the Shane and Mike show? I, I'm going to go high, higher <laughs> than that. What if someone sent in a hundred dollars and they could be an official sponsor of the show? Do you know for, anybody a with that kind of money? Well, b who would want to actually sponsor our show? Technically, I'm going into your argument that no one will sponsor us still. <laughs> Because we will never see a $100 bill come in the mail to be a sponsor of our now, show. Now, i got to let everybody know. Yeah. For, on my desk uh, last week where it was like navigating change gear. So yeah, Mike apparently bought like a, a, a zip-up, and it's an Adidas zip-up. I mean, I thought, you know, if Mike bought it, I was expecting it to be, you know, Monster Harry's really cheap supply. But it wasn't. <laughs> it was an Adidas zip-up. Yeah. And then a T-shirt that actually felt pretty good. 
And it had navigating change with Shane and Mike. My question, Mike, is who paid for this? We have no sponsors. And yeah. I didn't pay you back. No, you didn't pay me back. That comes from me, Shane. That I'm is like who, a gift from you. That, that's a gift from me to you. So how much were you out? Uh, I don't know, 40 bucks for four, both. The, 40 bucks? Yeah. So I'm out 25 for the Dairy Queen mm-hmm. gift cards. Mm-hmm. So next one's back my way, I guess. Uh, I guess so. But you know, Shane, if people actually wanted to buy shirts and stuff from us, we can make that happen now, too. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, no, we no, couldn't make No, I mean, I don't think it's true that people would, would actually want to buy, want to buy shirts sure. from us. Yeah. You're just saying it's mathematically possible. It's mathematically possible. That's something that we could well, actually do. They'd have to do. send money. And then if they sent money, would they be a sponsor? Or no. Or would we just give them a shirt? No, that, we, this is where we have them talk to Noel at the bookstore, and we get ourselves totally out of this. Okay. You All know, right. So have they, you done this, or is this mainly theoretical? No. What happens is you just say it, and then it starts to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how you start it. <laughs> That's the strategy for my whole life you've just summed it up i'm leaving now (laughs) exactly right well uh, again thank you for listening to navigating change with shane and mike we want to bring in reverend fred bishop fred how are you doing today i'm doing very well well we're going to talk a little bit about your life today you have a very interesting life but it all starts is it decoin is where you were brought up is that right actually a little community close there called sunfield oh sunfield okay and there's a song that goes to Sunfield. Stop it. Dad, Dad, Dad sing the a... song. Sing it. Sing it. This is good. Sunfield will shine tonight. Sunfield will shine. Won't she look cute tonight? Dress up so fine. When the sun goes down and the moon comes up, Sunfield will shine. Wow. It's kind of the national anthem of Sunfield. Okay. I like it. Do people like still it. sing that now? Is Sunfield still... Well, sure they do. Didn't you just hear it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like in Sunfield. Yes. Okay. Yeah, just sung, sure. sung daily. It's, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Very, very good. So, did you grow up on a farm, or yes, did you grow about, up in about a mile out of Sunfield? Okay. So, uh, on the farm every day, doing chores type of thing. We what was children. a typical day life as a boy? Miserable. <laughs> Miserable. Okay. <laughs> Milk cows. Then we had sheep and we had chickens. And really, Mike, after I was away from the farm, I got thinking about how about I hated chickens. And so I took my grandson out one day, and mm-hmm. we burned the chicken house down. Is that right? And it was a very comforting thought. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course, he no longer owned the property nor had permission to do it or told anyone about it. The fire station may or may not have come, and he got chewed out by one of my uncles. Other than that, I think it went well. Scared my son. Other than that, my wife called my sister and said, hey, the farm's on fire. And my, my wife says, Fred's out there. And then they understood what happened. Okay. That's right. That's right. It was like rotisserie chicken. <laughs> so actually, being, yeah. being, being raised on the farm, it, you couldn't take a vacation because you had all the chores, you know, cows to milk and everything. Yeah. And so um, actually, it was a good beginning, but uh, every time I saw a car go by, I wish I was on it. Is that right? <laughs> they were okay. all going to Sesser. And let me tell you, the good times are in Sesser, Mike. Yeah. You've never been to Sesser, have you, Mike? I don't think so. Let no. me tell you, it's a pretty cool place, and you can get a better-than-average orange ice cream. Is that still open, Pop? Yes, it is. Alan Miller used to be pastor there at Sesser. Our sponsor, our your only sponsor. sponsor. <laughs> yes, your sponsor was. He's like 10 bucks deep into this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's why they, need, they deserve <laughs> a mention. <laughs> So you grew up on the farm. Would you say that uh, kids today grew up like you did back then? Like in terms of working and all that? Do you think it's similar to the kind of work ethic that you got growing up? And actually, everyone was needed, and so we worked together. And and really, my little community of Sunfield, we had a school and we had a church, and we really didn't think we needed anybody else in the world. 
Wow. No, it was a very self-contained, and everyone knew everyone's business. So it was, it was a great place, really, to grow up. Great place to grow up, but you did want to get out of there. That's yes. The point. One night I had a dream, and in the dream I saw, like, Jesus was coming back. Mm-hmm. And I saw some people going up and some weren't. And when it got close, I woke up. And I was, I was scared out of my wits. And so if anyone would have told me how to get saved at that time, I would have. But we had a revival in our little country Methodist church. Yeah. And that's when I prayed to receive Christ. And I prayed at the altar. And later that church was, uh, you know, they built a new one. And they gave me that section of altar where I accepted Christ. And I have it in my office. Wow, that's powerful. How old were you when that happened? I was about 14. Okay. So early teenager. And then you come to faith in Christ. You're on the farm. Uh, from there, are you feeling the call to go out and do ministry? Where are you at at that point? Okay. I went off to college at the University of Illinois. Okay. Yeah. And uh, now, my, actually, what made all the difference was my youth leader, because he taught us to pray, just A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Mm-hmm. He taught us to pray. He taught us. We all had to learn the 23rd Psalm to go to our meetings. Then we had to learn the first Psalm and we had to learn the Apostles Creed, which to this day, I still know them. So our youth leader is the one that I really saw Christ in. And he's the one that got me hooked on the scriptures. Wow. So you got a great formation, very biblical, uh, very much historic in the Christian faith right then. Then you go to U of I. I go to the U of I and I went to every Methodist church in Champaign and Urbana. And I thought maybe they were all kin to the library because I didn't see God in any of them. (laughs) There wasn't, it wasn't like it was on the old, you know, in the little old country church. Okay. And but, so, go ahead. But I really did look to God, and I had a Broadman hymnal. You remember the Broadman hymnal? Sure, those are Baptist a, hymnals, right? Hmm? From the Baptist church, yes, the Broadmans? but we use that in our Methodist church. And so I had a Broadman hymnal and a Bible, and that's what actually kept me grounded the whole time I was in college. So when you're, okay, you're at the U of I, you're not feeling really Holy Spirit traction, basically at these churches, uh, but you, do you feel like you're growing in the faith at this point? Yes, I am, because it, it calls you not to be depending on others, but to mm. just your personal relationship with Christ. Wow. But then I got yep. sick and so on, and, uh, and so I had to drop out of school. Oh. And so when I did, then, then that was first my dream. And the next thing, Mike, that happened, yeah. uh, my dad died. Oh. And when my dad died, all of a sudden you think, what does life really mean? And that's led into my call in the ministry because then I saw, I got in Jacksonville, Illinois, and I saw like three rays coming down. One was my wife, my youth leader, and my pastor as a boy. And I felt like that they were influenced to me and I was being influenced to others. And basically that's how my call to the ministry started. Wow. I want to go back really quick because I think you said something that is fascinating that a lot of Christians miss. So you're at the U of I, and you said a lesson was that you learned how to really depend on God instead of other people. I think that's an important lesson a lot of people have to learn because once they, what I've found is that sometimes early Christians are looking for everyone to lift them up. Yes. And just kind of, I don't even, even get a little bit uh, comfortable instead of growing in the faith. But for you, that became a kind of a catapult to you growing. Actually, what happened, my youth leader was working the coal mines, and uh, the coal mine shut down, and he had to move. And when he left, I remember, I was about probably about 16, I remember I cried like a baby because he was someone that I really saw Christ in. And when he left, the closest person that I knew was Jesus Christ. Wow. And so, so he, for him to hand you off 
because he had established you in Jesus Christ. Yes. Therefore, from that day on, Jesus was the best friend I had. Wow. So he really did set you on a great path with those found out foundational aspects of faith. Okay. Uh, then you said your dad passed away, yes. and that was an, the next step kind of in your call yes. to ministry, or at least the first step. That was my call in the ministry. And so then you go off to college, yeah. and then you go off to seminary. Then when I got out of seminary, all of a sudden, I was at Pinkneyville, Illinois, which is close to uh -huh. DuCoin. Uh-huh. And... Um, the drug kids, they said, hey, your deacons, your leaders can't even give up drugs. I mean, smoking. So how are they going to tell us how to give uh -huh. up drugs? So the drug kids really got my attention on what is real and who's God and can he do anything in this situation. Then my, my, I had marriage and counseling as, uh, in college. So a couple called wanting me to counsel them. And my wife said, uh, what are you going to tell them? If you knew anything, you could practice it here. You know that couple? I counseled them, and sure enough, they got a divorce. The drug kids, and so I thought, hey, all my college, all my seminary and everything else did not help me to be able to get one drug kid set free. Wow. And so then I started setting people like David Wilkerson, people who were getting people set free. And I called out to God and said, God, I don't have it. And I felt like I was, I can tell you, the corner I was on, 127 and one and 4, and I cried out to God saying, God... And I felt like he said, I said, God, I'm not a good pastor. And I felt like he said, I know. He said, I'm not a good husband. And he says, I know. He said, I'm not a good father. And he said, I know. But it's like he held me in his arms and said, but I love you anyway. So, Fred, here's what I'm hearing. You tell me if uh, this is close. It seems like you hit these points in your life, and you had a choice whether to turn to God or not. Yes. And these seem to be like pivotal points, right? You could have just said you're fed up with God or not sought after him, does this still go back to this time in, in youth, in, your, in whatever that student ministry was that was giving you that foundation? Yes. You, you think that definitely was what it was? That foundation changed everything. In fact, when I went off to school in one place, they said, what's your, what's your statement of faith? I gave them the Apostles' Creed because <laughs> I, you know, I didn't know what else they were talking about. Yeah. But uh, I went to one place, they said, well, the Bible isn't true. But when you have your foundation good and solid, yeah. Anything that's, uh, that's different than that doesn't move you. You know, Mike, there's, there's two things that kind of strike me about the story. One is just this idea that you begin to take personal responsibility for your own spiritual development. That's good. I, I know so many people, they want to blame their church or they want to blame this or that or that. At the end of the day, we're going to stand before God one-on-one, and you either get it done or you don't. So I think that whole concept of just personal responsibility for your spiritual development, for your relationship with God, it's on you. And that dad had someone to help him construct the foundation of mm -hmm. that is really important. And I think that should be a strong word to those of our listeners. You say there's nine listeners we have, Mike? I, I actually say eight and a half. I'm eight not sure who the half is, is, but there's, there's a half. But to those who are in children's ministry or youth ministry, this should be a real affirmation to you that, that you're hearing from somebody who has a uh, just incredible legacy yes. in the Christian faith and Christian ministry, and, and yet taking it all back to those people who invested in him in a foundational sense when he was a boy, when he was a teenager. What a huge, huge affirmation that is. And the other thing that, that struck me was that he gets out of seminary and, and he finds that... The, the young people in his community 
are having addiction issues, experimenting with drugs. He looks inside his own church, and they can't even handle their addictions. And all of a sudden, you have all this religion, you have all of this knowledge, you have the very best training, but you lack firepower. So, Dad, what, what, where did you get the firepower? Okay, what happened was when I couldn't change the drug kids and when I couldn't help the married couples, then I went back to God, and I was very upset with God. Um, I've worked 40 hours a week in seminary. I pastored a church in seminary. I carried 19 hours. I went to the doctor because I couldn't get up the stairs, and he said, oh, he said, uh, you don't need to back off. He says, young corpses look the best. Well, he sure got my attention. Now, I lost my health. I worked full time, did all these different things, and I think I almost felt like God owed me. And then when it all fell apart and nothing would happen, I cried out to God saying, is that all there is? Because that's all that I know about. But what I started doing was finding where is anyone doing it? And that has been the story of my life. If I'm going to go to another country, anything else, is anyone doing it? Then you have to be willing to apprentice unto them and open mm. up your mind to receiving something that you don't know anything about. Yeah, a big step. I'm seeing humility. You know, having those points, you having have humility to, break, yes. to, to be a part of that. And Mike, how many people do you see feel called to ministry in some way? They want to just rush out there. But the thing you got to remember about Dad, he already has a college degree, first one in your family. Mm-hmm. Wow. He already has a seminary degree. He has already been out and, and doing ministries. He's pastoring and all those things. And yet he still sees that he needs to learn. And I think that humility piece is so incredibly important. And for me, humility isn't saying, I can't do anything. Humility is saying, through Christ Jesus, I can do anything. anything. But it's in his strength, not my own. Uh, paying your dues mm-hmm. uh, is, is such an important and I think often overlooked aspect of ministry. Mike, one thing that was interesting to me, when I, when I told you I was going, working 40 hours, going yeah. to school at 19 pastoring in church. I mean, my health was going bad. And when the doctor told me that, said, hey, young corpse would look the best. So I dropped off and like, I went out and bought an old motorcycle and we would ride around through Fort Worth. And it's like, I didn't even know my wife, you know, kids were in school at the time and all that. And so then I get over to this church in Pinkneyville and I got the old motorcycle. Hey, I never would have seen all those drug kids if I hadn't had the old bike, but yeah. I get out there and I find out, hey, you know, they don't know how to change a spark plug. They don't know how to ch- do the points or anything like that. So I start mixing with all these people. Wow. And that's when I found out they've got problems that we aren't solving and don't know how to solve. And that'll humble you. Either you've got to get out of the business or find out there are tools that you don't know anything about. And Dad, that's been an evangelistic tool of yours. It's, it's just what I would call a shared point of reference. You're always looking for a shared point of reference. Yes. So if somebody has a Cubs hat on, you're going to come in at that level. If they have an Ohio State T-shirt, you're going to come in at that level. Mm-hmm. If you can tell they're interested in cars, whatever it is, you want to find a point of commonality, and then that becomes the front door by which you can share faith. And I've seen that happen throughout your life. Well, you take now in this quarantine, <laughs> the point of contact is do- in my community is dogs. Yeah, right. And I see this morning, I said, hey, that dog seems to be pulling you pretty good. I could be walking better, too, if I had a dog. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm point of you're finding yeah, out what yeah. people are yeah. 
And then fitting into that. Absolutely. And then you get relational equity. You yes. get an opportunity to share whatever it is that God's doing in you with them. Uh, creates some type of lane. Mm-hmm. And don't uh, you think taking an interest in others is often the uh, ticket price of, of people hearing what we have to say? A lot of people are out there, and they think they have all this stuff to say. Well, nobody wants to hear what you have to say. No one cares what you have mm-hmm. to say. But if you take an interest in other people, now you work into that permission. So I know in the next—am I right the next part of your journey is Honduras after that no. or no? Could, wh- what's going when, on next? When, uh, when I got—when I, pr- I went out there, I prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes. Because John baptized with water, because in Acts 19, he says, hey— um, What's your baptism about? I said, we only got baptized in John's baptism. Mm-hmm. He said, hey, you need to be baptized in with the Holy Spirit and with fire. When I prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit and fire, all of a sudden I came home. And this sounds dumb, but it's true. I felt like a cat that swallowed a canary. I mean, I was so happy. All of a sudden it's not my church, not my family, not my anything. It's Christ's church. It's his. And if he wants anything done about it, he's able to do more than you could ever ask or think. So when I heard that, I got back home and I shared it the first night. Of course, you know, everybody wasn't very happy. Said, But then I had an old car and I'd go down to University, Southern Illinois University and pick up hitchhikers and tell them about Jesus, tell them what I just found out, how to be filled with the Spirit. Then I heard they had a, uh, a Democratic convention in Miami. And so my wife says, I believe you're supposed to go do that. And I thought, well, you're big of you, you know what I mean? I got to get killed down there. So I went to Democratic Convention, and I saw God work among the radicals. In fact, I got in a city council meeting one night. They were wanting to have, um, the, the radicals wanted to have Flamingo Park. And there was a guy named Dr. Ralph Abernathy. He was over with all the radicals. And so uh, I was sitting in the city council meeting, and um, I heard Dr. Abernathy. And when uh, he got through, I turned to my buddy and said, hey, how would you like to meet Dr. Abernathy? He said, well, I'd like to do that. So I went over and I says, Dr. Abernathy, I'd like you to meet Lloyd Cole. He said, oh, yes, Lloyd Cole. He had to act like he knew all those radicals. I had long hair, too. And, uh, and Lloyd Cole says, Dr. Abernathy, what this country needs is prayer. I said, yes, sir, this country needs prayer. Our Heavenly Father, and he, he prayed for the whole city council. So uh, those were interesting days. But I was using Ezekiel 47. I did it in Car- did it in, in Pinckneyville at all the bars. Then I did it in Carbondale. Then I went to, to the Democratic Convention. Then thought, hey, if he can do the Democrats, try the Republicans. So I did the Republicans. And then you hear they got a communist festival in Berlin. So I learned German. And Sammy Tipp is the one that I worked with. Uh So we memorized the gospel in German, and we went to the Communist Festival in Germany. So we just kept going step. When we could do something and see God in it, then we'd move on to the next level. And you felt like God was getting you equipped more and more as you went through all this? Well, you know what? It's kind of like those guys. You remember the the ten that got got healed? And as they went, they were healed. Mm. People, you know what? The the, the anointing comes in going. You. Peter, his first leg out of the boat wasn't a miracle, and but but if you don't step out of the boat, you'll never see it. What? How many people sit at home and and they think, you know, we don't ever see God move powerfully in our <laughs> yeah. lives? But why would God need to move powerfully if you're not doing anything? I mean, if the whole of your Christian life is, you know, you get up and go to church, yeah. what 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 miracles are, are needed there? I think a lot of times it's when we put ourselves out there when we're over our head that God meets us in an incredible way. Now, Dad, one of the things that I'm kind of sensing here is you, you got out of seminary, you're a pastor, and yet when, when you share your story, a lot 
of what's happening is God's kind of taking you out of that pastoral role yes. and moving you toward an evangelistic role, which means that uh, roles can kind of change in life, right? And really, the motorcycle still figures all into it because evangelizing, what was I doing? Uh, out riding with the kids and everything and find out about their drugs and then saw that, hey, maybe we need to have a meeting with these kids. So we got in there and we only had three, three lines. Are you up? Are you down? Or could you care less? And what I loved about drug kids as opposed to church people, uh, one of them would say, yeah, man, I'm really doing good. And the rest of them would just crack up. They would not allow each other to lie. And they didn't know enough to answer the questions yeah. like you're supposed to at church, you know, when you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so uh, the drug kids were, were really became my church outside the building. And so then somebody came and says, up in Nashville, Illinois, they're singing at their meetings. I said, well, why in the world are they singing? This isn't church. Right. But had, a, had an old woman there, couldn't play hardly a lick. But anyway, she played, and we sang, and we began to see God doing that. And then, we, then, this, then we, in the course of a year, we had three people die from drug overdose. So all, everything that went wrong actually was an opportunity to share the gospel. So it was pulling you out wow. rather than you just saying, hey, I think I'll go do this. And I assume that's the authenticity you were really looking yes, for and searching exactly for. True. Real power from Christ, real transformation, and you found that and you said, this is what it's about. I read the book of David Wilkerson's yeah. and he said, this is how it happens. Then I practiced it and it happened. I said, hey, I like this. And then with the kids, we would... We read the Bible, but with the young people, we lived the Bible, the Jesus movement. Yeah. It says, um, you know, it said that they brought all their junk together and had this yeah. burning in the, in the book of Acts. So it says, hey, maybe we got a bunch of things we shouldn't have, so we'd have our burning. We lived the gospel wow. as wow. opposed to just reading it. Well, Fred, thank you for sharing with us. We're going to land the plane for this episode of Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. Next time we're going to talk a little bit more about Reverend Fred's overseas ministry as well as NGL. But we want to thank you for joining us for Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. You can follow our blogs at RevShaneBishop.com, RevMikeWu.com. Of course, look for us on social media. Thank you for joining us, and make sure that you keep the change. Mm-hmm.